Tweak other Kumaflex. Air Canada blames the chatbot. If your hiring process has more than three interviews, you're doing it wrong. And how many recruiters should your team have? Tira with my dad and Shelly starts right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly? Serge? How are you? I was trying to come up with a clever line to start off and it, it just disappeared from my brain. So oh, that's okay. I guess I just have to say Shelly. You could just yell at me. Shelly! Yeah, it's been a fun week, hey? God, and so much to look forward to. Oh my goodness, right? I know we record on Wednesdays, everyone who's listening. Yeah. But tomorrow night, I did get a sneak preview of what Serge is going to present at the Canadian Recruiters Networking Group. I talked to Will yesterday as well. Yeah. It's 120 people. No pressure. But I have to say, if you're not going tomorrow, you're going to have FOMO because it's really funny. Serge, you have outdone yourself. You really have. It's going to be oh, so Oh, no. Yeah, now you're setting up oh, the no, expectations no, no. way Listen, too high. Hey, but it already would have happened by the time our listeners get this. True. And and I think that it's all TA people and all recruiters. We're rather irreverent. Like we're not the straight laced, prim and proper. No. And so when you're just around your people, you kind of let loose. Oh, I love so, this group. So it's fun. my favorite group to spend time with. I love these events. I go to everyone. You missed the last one. It was great. This one should be fun, right? Like there are peeps. They're the people yeah. that we see the most. We know a lot of them personally. So I, I am excited. I'm going to be talking about employment brand, what is real and what is fake. And I think I have some pretty good examples that might oh shock some people. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's going to might be a little surprise in there. <laughs> You might see some surge shirtless. So you're, you're going to need armed guards to get to your car. But Shelly, the other thing that's uh, really excited that just happened and I'm like still with high energy is I hosted a webinar with Torin Ellis mm. for Career Beacon and it was amazing. I have never done a webinar like that. I've never seen someone just bring so much intensity over a screen. So Torin Ellis... Amazing job. This is going to be available to everyone very shortly on our YouTube channel at Career Beacon. You definitely have to go in and listen to that one. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes, Shelly, I spend some time on the internet and uh, a little bit of TikTok, a little bit of Twitter, and came across a really interesting lady that was talking about her experience applying for a job. And we've talked about this for a long time that too long a process can be extremely painful. And now uh, she shared her experience and she actually named the company. So the lady on X is called Lily and her tag is at design a Lily. And she applied at a company called eight sleeps. I'm assuming it's some type of mattress company. I'm not exactly sure, but basically what happened is she had a conversation with a recruiter recruiter told, oh yeah, the process is four interviews at the most, and you might have to do a little bit of wireframing for an hour. Well, it turned out to be completely the opposite because the process went to eight steps. And one of those steps was 
a full presentation. Here's the brief that she was given. Create an in-app experience for a new product integrating the existing app and flagship products. And they even linked their design system and font family to use. And on top of that, she had to book a one-hour Zoom interview call where she went through her presentation and she didn't even get the job at the end of the day. So I think in the world that we've gone to an employer market again, uh, and they're starting to stretch the limit again. What's your take here, Shelley? When I read this, I was reminded of a certain employer here in Calgary. Yes. And this is firsthand experience. You're right. I think it is starting to creep back up again. And interestingly enough, I think it disappeared in the years in 21 and 22. And now it's back because this local firm had, this is an analyst role calling for two to three years of experience and wanting a two to three page memo, single spaced outlining strategy and initiatives and comments and identifying areas for improvement. As soon as I read that, identifying areas for improvement, my hair was on fire. I was like, hold on a minute. Now you've crossed the line. Because if you're asking for somebody's intellectual property, you're looking for free work, free ideas. It's such a bad look. It's terrible. Makes me crazy. It is a really bad look. And I don't know much about this Calgary employer, but looking at this lady's example, I think one of the things that I found intriguing is she talked to other people that worked there or have applied. And this was very common. The recruiters mm-hmm. would say, hey, it's going to be four. They undersell the process. And when you're in it, suddenly it just kept growing, which if you're a recruiter, I know it's really tough because you're probably being told that's what you should do. But think how unfair it is for the candidate. The other side of it, I have no issues with take home, but you got to pay. You got to pay that person to do that work because God knows what she put together. What happens if that pops up on their site or they leverage it in any way? Basically, they're just getting candidates to do free work without any compensation. So Mm -hmm. definitely don't do this. It was interesting. Have you ever read about the audition process for Saturday Night Live? I've heard stories about it, but I haven't read the... And the story goes just like this. It's when you audition, you actually have to sign a waiver because you're presenting original material as part of your audition. And you actually sign a waiver that whatever you do for your audition is now the property of SNL, even though you, you may or may not get the job. So you know what? If you're auditioning for SNL, I get it. It's a career maker. But um, hello, our friends over at Eight Sleep. Who the fuck do you think you are? Like, you're not SNL. Michelle, are you ready to jump into the news? And we have a very interesting story that has been sent to us across the world because they saw Canada. And when they think of Canada, they think of Shelly and Serge, which I really appreciate that. But I did see it on my own, and I thought it was a very good warning sign for all of us in talent acquisition and HR and how we leverage AI, because I'll tell you what happened. So Air Canada, our primary airline here in Canada, there's only really two, but this one is the biggest one had to 
issue a partial refund to a passenger. The passenger's name is Jack Moffat. To give you a little bit of the backstory, Moffat booked a flight from Vancouver to Toronto following his grandmother's death and was incorrectly advised by the airline's chatbot that he could book immediately and request a bereavement rate refund within 90 days. Guess what? Air Canada's actual policy does not allow for bereavement rate refunds after booking, leading to Moffitt's refund request being initially rejected. So Moffitt took it further. He pursued it. So he eventually took the case to Canada's Civil Resolution Tribunal after being offered only a $200 coupon by Air Canada as compensation. So after going in front of it, the tribunal was pretty critical of Air Canada for attempting to disclaim liability for the chatbot's misinformation and for expecting customers to verify information across different parts of its website. So they did award a partial refund of $650 from the original fare of $1,600. So many things to talk about here, Shelley. First of all, why is Air Canada so damn cheap that they made a mistake, just pay it, it would never made the news. And, and their argument is ridiculous as well. You're accountable for everything on your website. So if you're leveraging AI, you're leveraging a person that goes and says something, you're held accountable to it. So what's your take here, Shelley? I thought this was a great example of what can happen. And I remember you posed the question last week or the week before when we were talking to Hilka, who's responsible? Is it the company's responsibility? Is it whoever designed the AI? This was a failed attempt of Air Canada to say, we can't be held responsible for AI generated content. And the court said, actually, yeah, you can. But all this aside, search. I think the most disgraceful part of this is someone who is grieving. You have to realize somebody's state of mind, whether you're a business to consumer or a direct employer, when it comes to bereavement, when it comes to one of the biggest events in life, like losing a parent or a grandparent, and now you are going to make this even harder for me then don't have a bereavement refund policy at all. Like, I was embarrassed for Air Canada. It's just such a bad look. Oh, my gosh. It was it's not uncommon for airlines. Like, airlines have a pretty strong reputation of just being the worst. And Air Canada is not the exception from that. So I am not, like, really surprised, but... I agree. It's horrible customer service. Just for them to fight it so long too, it, it hurt them because it's made international news. It's made international news for the fact that they were held liable for something on their AI chatbot that was wrong, which should be a very, very clear warning signal. When I asked that question to Hilka, she didn't really have an answer. And she's like, well, I guess we'll see when there's a lawsuit. But I think this shows us where this is going to go. I'm not saying this is concrete or is a court ruling that will be upheld and leveraged in other cases, but it's a pretty clear message that if you're leveraging AI in your process and it fucks up, 
the buck stops at you. It doesn't stop at the vendors. So you better be doing your due diligence and making sure that it works the way it should. So I think that's the lesson here for us in talent acquisition, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. On to some other news. So RecFest, RecFest UK, of course, is in July. RecFest US is coming back in September 12th and 13th to Nashville. And their headline partner, drum roll, please. It's Indeed. <sighs> yeah, it's Indeed. Indeed was completely absent from RecFest the last two years, but now they're taking the headline. So what do you think of them being? Well, you remember last year when we were there and I remember this conversation with you. I'm like, isn't this a shame? Look at all these recruiters and it, it's a recruiter event, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a recruitment leader event. Like this is not a mixture of HR leaders or anyone. These are all practitioners, a few vendors, and indeed did not even show up or have any presence. And I think they saw the errors in their way and they're like, this is an audience that we need to get in front of. So Kudos to Indeed and congratulations to our friends at RecFest. I am so excited about RecFest this year. I still think about the memories and the fun that we had last year. So we're going again. If you're in the audience and you're listening to this and be like, oh, should I go to RecFest? Do it. Do it. Nashville is so much fun too. So definitely do it. And for us, specifically in TA, there's nothing else like it. No. It's just not. No. There's not There's for knowledge close. dropping trend and just a really good time. So on to a more serious piece of news, Serge, it's something I wanted to share with the audience. Not that people are going to find this riveting or keeping them up <laughs> at night, <laughs> but I did want to share something. The CRA, this is the Canadian Revenue Agency. They have clarified how employers determine province of employment for remote workers. There's always a question, right? So, you know, like Leah works for me, Leah's in Nova Scotia. So for CRA purposes, is she a Nova Scotia employee or is she an Alberta employee? So the CRA has made a ruling on how you figure this out. And so starting on January 1st of this year, employers are required to use specific criteria to determine the province of employment for their full-time remote working staff. So end of the day, bottom line is if it were an in-person job and they had to come to the office, what office would they come to? So that's how they determine it. Had you hired this person and they had to come to work every day to, to report to a physical location, where would it be located? I didn't understand it that way. So in your example that Leah's in Nova Scotia, you obviously don't have an office in Nova Scotia. She has to report that she's in Alberta. That's right. And she pays an Alberta employee. Alberta tax? Yep. Wow. That is pretty cool for her because the tax difference between Alberta and Nova Scotia is massive. Oh, that's amazing for a lot mm -hmm. of people, shitty for some others. Well, I mean, th I think it's important for job seekers to understand this as well because you could be doing remote work for a company based in New Brunswick. And your TD form, your provincial TD1 form, would be based in New Brunswick. Yes. And that would be a massive difference depending on the province that you're in. He, 
I don't know. Cause it, it's so funny throughout my career, I've worked remotely and I've never really worked in the province that I'm in. I've always worked like Ontario or Eastern Canada. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about it is yes, I did get pulled more tax, but at the end of the year, I was getting the Alberta income tax refund, which was much higher. I get a big chunk of cash. So this is potentially a major change for a lot of job seekers and employers out there. So thanks for calling that out. Mm, You're welcome. Do we want to do the tip of the week? Yeah, we got a theme happening here, but let's start with the important part first. And that is the tip of the week is brought to you by Plum. Mm. Plum knows that when people flourish, businesses thrive. Using science-backed insights, Plum aligns human potential with job needs, allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform, ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice. Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at Plum.io. So the tip of the week, I got a bit of a, a rant this week about interviews. This is about how many interviews do you really need to do? I say more than three interviews is a signal to the market. And these are the signals that I would say, if you have to endure more than three interviews as a candidate, this should be a red flag. Why? I'd say for one, there's lack of accountability in the organization. Two, there's Mm -hmm. low trust in the organization. Three, they have a blame culture. Four, decisions are made by committee. Good thing to know going in. (laughs) Yeah. And five, the power to kill a deal or slow business to a halt usually rests with one person. What I mean that somebody on the committee has the ability to just pump the brakes on the whole thing. So what that also leads to is nine interviews and two months later. So my tip of the week is this, as a job seeker, see that as a red flag, withdraw early from the process. This isn't going to turn out well. As a TA professional, if you're having to deal with a nine-step process, I think it's time to start looking for another job because your professional brand, your personal brand is going to be associated with the fact that you are a puppet in this ridiculous nine interviews process. Serge, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, I have zero disagreement with what you just said. I think the only factor as a TA professional is we still have a responsibility to give clear data of why this is a bad idea and sell the story if we can't. I think you're right. I think it's a red flag that this organization is not really serious about what they're doing in recruitment. Bang on, Shelly. Let me jump into the recruiting insights. The recruiting insights are brought to you by our friends at Metova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer, and it won't make you pull your hair out. Picture this. Top-notch IT talent from Latin America. Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone, so no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. Plus, Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent. 
I have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Matova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support. So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you can have the nearshoring party with Matova? Look them up at Matova.com and let's get the fiesta started. So Shelly, this is the question that I've struggled my entire career in talent acquisition is like, how big should my talent acquisition team be? And there is many different trains of thoughts of what the right approach is. But we found this great research done by Mercer and Mercer does great research It's focused in the U.S., but I think it applies completely to Canada and across the world, even in the Netherlands. I'm pretty sure it works the same there. That's a shout out to Boz. So what they came up with is basically they looked at organizations less than 500 employees, 500 to less than 1,000, 1,000 to 5,000, 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000 to 20,000, 20,000 or more employees. So this is the employee mm-hmm. count, right? This is mm-hmm. not the rec load. But they've always used a very similar formula. A lot of people go by the recs, but usually if you're looking at the bigger picture, the recs can fluctuate up and down very inconsistently across the board. The metric that I look at a higher level is always the size of the organization more than how many recs they had last year, the year before. What they did is they look at those less than 500 employees, and this is the median across the board. So it generally teams less than five. There was one sourcer, 1.7 recruiter, one coordinator, and one in operations. To stay pretty steady across the board, obviously until you got to the point of 20,000 employees or more, organizations with 5,000 to 10,000 employees, they had on average 10 recruiters. 1,000 to 5,000 was five recruiters. 500 to 999 was three recruiters. Then when you went 20,000 or more employees, we're looking at around 40 recruiters. I was surprised in some aspects when it comes to operation, like I haven't seen many organizations under 500 employees that has someone that works in recruitment operation. I think everyone should, but it's rare. I just don't see it a lot. And I don't see a lot of organizations with less than 500 employees have a sourcer. I rarely see organizations in Canada that have a sourcer at all. So did I find this surprising? No, but I think what's really cool, it it can help us, especially in leadership, is trying to figure out what is the right fit and what should I bring to my leadership team of how big my team should be. Generally, if you look at it, at every 500 step up in employee count, you should have an additional recruiter is what the mat adds up to be. Shelly, any surprises here? What is the right amount of recruiters for an organization? You know, what it didn't tweeze out was what were the industries? It did say 457 organizations. Maybe that's, I think, the fault of how flawed some of these surveys may be. Yeah. Still, good benchmark. Mercer's a very credible source. So these are great averages, right? Because if you've got very little technology versus really great technology, you don't need as many sourcers. What was interesting was if you've got 20,000 or more employees, it doubled the need for recruiters. And I think it holds true across industry sectors. 
usually, because when you are that big, you've got multiple locations, you've got different demands, different needs. And imagine if you are someone like a McDonald's, right? How many recruiters do you need? They've actually gone the other way because they're using technology and people at the store level are doing the actual recruiting. You know, Mm. I would agree that most companies should have like for every thousand employees, probably three recruiters. And that's the balance is between a a thousand and 3000, depending on your industry, because that's the caveat here is depending on what it is your company does. And are you in growth mode? Because the other, as you say, canary in the coal mine is if you're going the other way, that's one of the first roles that's going to get sliced. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to point out. Uh, You mentioned the industry and the type of roles. I think when we look at high volume hiring, McDonald's being an example, hiring additional recruiters is actually probably not going to fix a problem. You have so much volume coming in that you have to leverage technology. And again, this is an average. I've been in companies that we are 200 employees and we had four recruiters because it was the growth stage of that particular company and the Mm -hmm. type of industry we were in at that time and how many wrecks we were dealing with, it made sense, right? Especially in the short term. But we'll add this link because I think it's really good for us as we're building business case for more uh, resources within our, our division as well. And I think there's an argument to be made here. Like we talked about recruiters, but I think how many of us could use someone in recruitment operations instead of us, the leader, or having a recruiter do most of that work in the back end. The coordinators and operations are the ones that we don't talk about enough. And I think this will help us. If you have, say, 5,000 employees, you should have three people working in recruitment operations. In an ideal world. Shelly, do you want to, in an ideal world, Shelly, do you want to jump into our next recruiting insight? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love this. I think, again, it's on theme for this week. It was an article that really nicely called out the reasons why the job search process is rigged against you. It's not your imagination. We've talked about all these topics throughout the years, but I wanted to call out what I thought was so well said in this article about the different reasons why it feels to the job seeker like this process is just like, it's rigged. It is. I wanted to just touch on a few of the things. The first one being fake job postings. The companies will ask you to post jobs just to find out how much money their competitors are offering or to find out just how hard it's going to be to replace somebody. If you don't have the money and you don't have a LinkedIn recruiter seat that will tell you or you don't know how to use analytics properly, it is the cheap and dirty way to find out if I fire this person, how hard will it be to replace them? True story. I know this happens. They have no intention of hiring, but it's going to quickly give you a sense of who's out there, who's in the market. And I've had hiring managers over the years say, just post it. Let's see what we get. Because they're actually thinking about letting somebody go. So it's not your imagination. There are such thing as fake job postings. Here's my next, I got a beef with this big time, lowballing salary offers. I tend to think that if recruitment does not have well-defined what is a salary range, 
In other words, there's a lot of processes in HR where you have to go back to compensation, present your case, and they tell you what to offer the candidate, which to me is just so absurd. But Mm. it does happen where companies will offer a lower salary for entry level or early career roles, assuming the candidate will accept lower pay to gain the experience. And there's higher unemployment, right? Larger applicant pool, new grads, or early career. But they just assume that a candidate is desperate for any job and will accept any offer. This makes me sick. And it just pisses me off. Because if you've been asked, what's your salary range? They agreed, you proceeded through the process. And they come back and lowball you an offer. Like, why would you do that to somebody? Like, for what? To save 5000 a year? You said throughout the whole process, 80000 Is that within the range of the role? They said, yes. You proceed through the process. You jump through all their stupid ass hoops. And they come back and give you an offer for seventy five. Like, why? Right? And this happens all the time, too. We but all have Who decides too. that? And why? If we agreed on a number. And the last one here is the bait and switch. Oh my God, if I had a dollar for every time this happened, the company HR recruitment or the supervisors or whatever, they get into the hiring process and they don't honor their word once the candidate starts the job. So this is not a fake job. You actually do get the job, but it's not what you said it was going to be. And can you count, it's probably a very high percentage, the number of times you call that person 30 days later and you say, so is the job what you thought it was going to be? And they go, no, <laughs> it's not. And it, it's is it a misrepresentation? Did they advertise it wrong? Why would a company do that? I don't know why, other than they want to secure good talent for a job that they don't really have. So it's not your imagination. There's a lot of shitty process out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Thank you for bringing that up and just ruining my day, but you're kidding. That's it. We're going to go find jobs doing something else. The bait and switch one is the most interesting to me because it's actually what I'm talking about at the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group is we love bomb candidates. We put aspirational job ads. And when I say aspirational, basically, let's admit it, you're lying. And I know we had this discussion, but a lot of it is like, how far can you stretch the truth? And it's not always not well-intentioned, right? They in their hearts might believe that, but it's not the true behaviors within the company. This is one of my mission for the next couple of years is can we start talking like humans? And the ability to do that is actually going to make you differentiate yourself in the process, right? Start sharing the true behaviors of the company. Talk a little bit about the harsh realities of what can be fixed. People know Like we've all worked at a lot of different companies, Mm -hmm. right? We know no company is perfect. And you trying to love bomb me at the start of the process with this bullshit that this is the greatest place to work. Your boss is going to be amazing. Like all of this stuff and ends up not being true. It, It always goes back to what James Ellis said in one of her first podcasts. And it stuck with me is if you promise a full day of cuddling with puppies and you show up on your first day and you can only cuddle puppies for half of the day, 
guess what? You're mm-hmm. disappointed. And this is what we're doing with job seekers. Everything you mentioned, we know it happens. Uh, like when you said, oh, just post a job to see who we've got. Do you know how many times in that my career that I've gotten that? Like it's in the hundreds. I'm like, oh, sure. I just want to waste my time for no reason. That sounds great. They're like I'm not going to work on the 90 other recs that I have uh, within the organization. I'm going to post a job and mislead candidates and probably never get back to them because I don't actually have a job. There is a fix. There is. There is a fix. Okay. And we're hoping maybe. fixed. Well, technology may help us. I think it's the standardization of the process. If recruiters are given tools, proper tools, you wouldn't post a fake job because you have access to the data. If you want to know how many people in supply chain management with 11 to 15 years of experience with at least one degree in these five industries, then go buy yourself a LinkedIn recruiter seat because it'll tell you. And LinkedIn does represent 95% of job seekers. Do they not? Like everybody's got a profile on there, even if you haven't touched it in 10 years. So if you really want to know market conditions, then give your recruiters proper tools. Uh, Did you get a royalty check from uh, LinkedIn before this podcast? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, A couple times that you're like. no, No, I was speaking from my lived experience. I think it goes back to like, we got to keep treating people like humans. This is where the robot proof recruiter by Katrina Collier is a must read because technology can help us, but we're not using it correctly. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox here. Better answer, Serge. I like your answer better. You're right. Go read the robot proof recruiter because if everyone just realizes there's human beings on the other end of that screen... And she's got some great advice and very practical things that, that as talent acquisition, we can do. Good answer. Yeah. Technology will help. But if you have a shitty process, it just duplicates and accelerates that shitty process that you have. Fix your problem before technology does. So a couple of things. Mm-hmm. TA Tech is coming up in June. Everyone should get their tickets. I want to go to Unleash in whatever way that we can. And we will be at RecFest USA. But definitely the one that I can guarantee is on the docket. And I want you to go if you're in the space is TA Tech in Washington, D.C. at the International Spy Museum. And I can't wait because I always want to be a spy. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Shelly, have a great weekend. Thank you. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. 
We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.